Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. edition of All Marine Radio and the Mensa Brothers uh, their long their long awaited return uh, to All Marine Radio after me being gone for a week happens uh, right now so uh, I'm not going to fool around without further ado joining me Jeff Kenny, Tim Lynch and Will Costantini Long awaited, this I know. I've read your emails, and I apologize that I have other stuff going on sometimes. But joining me, the man who loves to be introduced first, Jeff Kenny from Southern California, I think. Jeffrey, how are you? Good. I am in Southern California, and I fucking hate to be introduced first. (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. Thank you, Mac. (laughs) And from McAllen. Good to talk to you again. I forgot what your voice sounds like, for Christ's sake. Yeah, it's good. From McAllen, Texas, Tim Lynch joins us. And uh, we're recording this, so Tim's up late. Um, Timmy, how are you? I'm new and improved, apparently. And I'm trying an experiment here because my wife tells me that ever since I got my new hearing aids from the VA, that it's a world of difference, that I talk in a more calm manner, that I'm not loud. And uh, she thinks it's just the best thing since sliced bread. So I've got my hearing aids in, and I'm, I'm trying to see if there's any difference. Is, is there? It, oh, yeah. The, the hearing is, is, is it's amazing, actually. Those damn birds outside are loud as shit. <laughs> they, they, uh, particularly at the upper, upper end of the range scale, they jacked it up on these hearing aids. I saw them do it, and I swear to God, those things, sometimes I think they're right behind me. The, particularly the parrots. So, yeah, I, I can hear a lot better. It's it's a, it's actually amazing. I, I didn't know it was that bad. Really? Yeah. How yeah, long have, thought, how long did it take you to get them? Oh, I, I, a month maybe. I went for – I got them before, but the ones they sent before were just trash. They didn't do anything for me that much, I didn't think. And I they were uncomfortable. But these are high speed, man, from uh, – I think from Switzerland or something. They are nice. They are nice. Got the do the Swiss make uh, good hearing aids? I know they make good watches, yeah, but I, who knows? 50% of the world market is by this company 
phone tech, I think it is, but uh, phone app. But I tell you what, they're they're good, and there's no batteries. You just put them in the little charger and charge them up at night. And that's oh, I, I thought when you said no batteries, I thought maybe they're earwax powered. No, no, the of... earwax, the, the earwax thing. You only got to change that like every three months or so, and it's simple. This is a, this is a nice set of hearing aids. The hooked me up. So really? I don't know if you can tell a difference or not. This is the experiment tonight. Well, you look the same. I don't I know. know. Do I don't you, have the he's head- not wearing headphones. Do you? Yeah. Would you sound different because you can hear better? I notice sometimes when I'm listening to the playback that I that my volume amps up if I'm excited about something or or I, I don't know for what reason I do that. I don't seem to do that as much with these hearing aids on. My wife. Yeah, is but that's a thrilled. that's a behavioral quirk, right? Not an audio quirk. This is. I'm being told that this has made a a, a huge change in my domestic life because I'm much quieter right. and, and more and more of a sne- the sneaky bastard I was when you guys knew me as a captain. It's apparently I'm. I'm back and this has all been precipitated by your uh, your ability here at the high end of the audio spectrum, which none of us have, could, which I none of us have you. heard in decades. I, I wasn't hearing much in any spectrum, I think. It's sort of like the, the, the color vision thing. I never knew I had color vision issues until I tried to take a dime physical. I had no clue. Really? And I still don't, I don't know what the hell. No, I they, mean, I'm used to my daughters looking at me and say, is there anything going on right now that you should be interested in? And I look at right? You look at them like, what? Your phone's ringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that comes right through my head. Right, right into my hearing aids. Does now. it? Wow. Yeah, yeah, wow! It's nice, yeah, high speed. Well, congratulations. Thank you. I'm very, I'm, and, and we'll see. I'll, when I listen to this, uh, when you put it up, I'll, I'll see if I don't annoy myself by upping the volume because you know who wants that. Well, your microphone's a little hot. I had to turn it down a little bit just so you know. Okay, thank you. And you need to because when you're a little bit hotter than Jeffrey, Jeffrey tends to be have the softest voice of the three of you. Um, and that's not, not because he has a soft voice, certainly. No one would, I mean, as an Italian, Irish American, I mean, nobody's going to assault his masculinity, but it's an audio I'm thing. I'm the fucking Nat, <laughs> I'm the Nat King Cole of the Mensa Brothers, man. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You knew, you knew that. Right on, right, right on time. Right on time. And so when you're a little hot, it, you walk all over him. So just so you know. All right. So anyway, with that done. Uh, joining us from Greater Kansas City, Will Will Cost Costantini. It's, it's been a couple of weeks, so I'm I get nervous, man. I'm. It's, it's a condition I deal with. I'm sorry. Well, hello, Mike. Uh, uh, yeah, I have no mechanical, electronic, medical implants to report on. So. None at all. None. Tell the truth. As long as, we're, as long as we're coming clean with mechanical, electronic gizmos, that, that Jeffrey, did, did you have any? I I'll tell you what I got. I have a lot of physical therapy sessions I've done in the last week, and they they fucking uh, they put electrodes on my fucking hip, and they wrap me up in uh, cold like ice packs, and then they shock me. I'll tell you, it feels pretty good though. Then they had this like vibrating, looks like a vibrating Uzi machine gun. They fucking rub it on your, uh, on my hip and my ass and my back and shit. 
but I feel good. But I think I'm still going to have to have a replacement hip put in. And what is that therapy for? Migraines? My, no, <laughs> no, it's my, my hip, my fucking hip is like fucked up on my right hip. So I'm always limping and shit. And, uh, I can't run for stuff for shit anymore. 65 and I am fat, you know, so I, I, but I can't lose my favorite way of losing weight is PT and diet. So if I can't PT, I don't see the point in dieting. So, you know, I, I, I'm getting there. I've been doing this uh, physical therapy thing. It's a referral. It's not the actual VA. I don't have to worry about my life being in danger. You know? <laughs> but, uh, so that's what I've been doing. It's been, I feel better doing it. So, but no, I don't have any uh, implants or anything like that. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Well, as, as long as everybody's coming clean, I thought it was only appropriate that we should find out. The For um, sure. I just lie anyway. So <laughs> don't worry. <about> it. <laughs> the uh, all right. Uh, a few things. Uh, certainly want to talk about force design. Um, I think you know we've been talking about uh, General Zanetti, General Van Riper, and the way we got raised. Um, in the discussions about uh, in the late 80s and early 90s about maneuver warfare in the Marine Corps. And, you know, I think we just told our story that these guys raised us not to be afraid to, you know, um, get it on intellectually and, uh, you know, to, to be certainly respectful and articulate. But other than that, those were the rules. And uh, and I think if, if anybody got a chance to watch... Um, the YouTube video uh, that's circulating about uh, Marine Corps Force Design, uh, you got a taste of that. And so, uh, and then uh, there's been articles um, this week, written one by General Cine, one by General Van Riper, uh, being published in Task and Purpose. I've been told others are coming, one about aviation, one about manpower, uh, the balance of this week. And so, um, so I, I think people are starting to see that um, that they're, these men have devoted their lives to the, to the Marine Corps. They are as smart uh, as you're going to find. Uh, they are certainly well-versed in, in Marine Corps history and the history of the Department of Defense of the nation. And so uh, I got a whole bunch of emails that said essentially the same thing. Uh had never had the exposure that you guys had to these gentlemen and holy shit holy shit what a treat to be able to listen to them and the discourse that went on in that in that thing uh wow so i want to talk about that and then i i, I just want will to tease the discussion that we're going to have and then uh and then the other thing i want to do tonight is uh is talk about any thoughts about uh russia be ukraine round two uh in the in the Don Boss and and whatnot. So, um, uh, Timmy, we'll start with you. Um, thoughts on uh, the latest um, the latest gyrations of the force design discussion? Well, I, I think that for those that got a chance to watch that uh, that YouTube video, and I watched all two hours and plus of it, I, it was it was fascinating. Um, that now they know what we were talking about when we were referencing particularly General Zinni's and Ryan Riper. The, uh, everything that we were afraid was happening but didn't know, such as the fact that the component commanders have not in any way, shape, or form been part of this discussion. Um, the, the, the whole process that this came about, everything that we were curious about, we now know that uh, our worst found fears were true. 
And what was very interesting was at the end of the presentation, when the war gamers and a couple of the other proponents tried to basically justify things uh, of pushback against the generals, they, they were they were ineffective, although politely received. But uh, what what really concerned me from listening to that thing is I don't have a clue what the commandant is thinking. I can't imagine how anyone, after sitting there and listening to Paul Van Riper talking to you from across your desk, face to face, how anyone can just ignore every point that was made and blithely continue down a road to ruin. And so, like like the generals, I too think this is a, a threat to the entire existence of our corps. And I'm and I'm 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 not very pleased um, to hear the, the the pushback. I you'd want to think that somewhere there was somebody that had a clue that would make sense, some kind of sense to us, but it hasn't happened. And and so um, you have a few of the senior generals going very public. I imagine there's a lot that aren't comfortable with that route. I I. I'm sure that there are very few who are on the other side of this this debate, and it's 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 alarming because, as is pointed out over and over again, identical to the issues we raised, we're no longer closed with and destroy and we're not a we're not that force anymore. And I cannot imagine how anyone seems to think that that's a good idea. So. It was the, the wargaming guy. Uh, was interesting listening to him talk, but even he said all the questions haven't been answered. I mean, this whole thing just made me feel um, uh, even more depressed. It's it it. Uh, but boy, does it, it 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 was it was interesting to see the the the, the burning bush and General Van Riper talk, and they even uh, passed an attaboy when they talked about facing the captains back in the uh, in the in the early nineties with the maneuver warfare thing. Because I know who he was talking about. I know the guys that were challenging him. Some of them are right here with us. So that was uh, <laughs> that was fun, you know. All right, Jeff, your thoughts. Man, what a um, shit topic. God, what a, Jeff, what a disaster. Yeah, your thoughts on 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 this. Oh, hold on, Michael, you're you're, you're muted, buddy. Back, Jeffrey. Your thoughts on on this. Yeah, uh, well, I have to tell you, listen to those two guys again after all these years, um, and particularly General Zinni. The guy, uh, he, he didn't make a wrong move. You know what I mean? He, everything he said was prescient, and, uh, and so the history lesson was superb. You know, it was uh, a very good history, not only of uh, usually just people just tell history of stuff that what happened, but General Zinni tells you why it happened. How do we get from... Uh, FMF stuff to, you know, to the meth centered thing, you know, because of force, because of Goldwater Nichols and stuff. And he talks about how the, you know, what happened before that. He talks about all those things that happened and significant, uh, you know, uh, exercises that happened that uh, influenced people. His experience with General Luck, who's a, you know, a, you know, a famous guy, you know, and uh, so it's a, you know, it's a, it was really something else. And then General Van Riper. He, the guy's like dedicated to the idea of operational excellence, op, you know, how to do the how to do war fighting. And he's not so much in the political realm, but General Zinni, he respects and acknowledges the fact that the political realm is out there. It's looming over and he has a lot of experience with it. You know, in the well, I remember uh, listening to General Zinni one time uh, at the uh, the Marine Corps Research Center 
And he was saying, yeah, we don't ever call this shit. People want to call it uh, operations other than war. And they want to call it Mutua. Remember that Mutua thing? Or we want to call it, uh, want to call it high, you know, low intensity conflict. He goes, I would call it high intensity peace. And uh, <laughs> I remember, you know, that's just the guy's, you know, he was, that, that was so good. And I'll tell you, I was getting sick of this General Zinni praise shit on your fucking podcast, Mac, over and over again. What a wonderful guy he is, right? And then I realized when I when, when I heard him talk, thinking, yeah, this motherfucker is a, I shouldn't talk that way, but this guy is really, you know, a, a, you know, a um, quality individual. And how anyone could stand in the face of the, the hurricane winds of the logic of General Zinni and General Van Riper, who went through the crucible of, of Vietnam, they burst. They were burned in that fucking crucible. You know, they learned their lessons the hard way, and then, and then, and then here, General Van Riper asked questions of these guys about, well, you know, what happens, you know, the questions about the use of tube artillery, the questions about, the, you know, the, uh, you know, how how are these guys going to suppress the enemy? All that stuff he talked about, the basic fucking shit. If you're going to move, you got to put fire in the enemy. You know, if you're if you're going to stay. He was just, you know, flawless. You know, it's it's not really complicated, but it's being. And you get the feeling, and when you get the when they talk about the comebacks they got, it really is. Uh, it's uh, it's disturbing. The comebacks they got were like, well, in our Marine Corps, we wouldn't, they, they wouldn't, we wouldn't be involved in that conflict then. What the fuck are you talking about? We wouldn't be involved. We're involved in all conflict. We're the we're the fucking force that will do anything. We're we're the you know we're the we're the bandage for the sucking chest wound. We're not guys who like do windows. We do every fucking thing. And, and you know, that's what uh, I was thinking when they were talking. It was very good. Because I, I read the articles and then I listened to the, the podcast. You know, it was like, it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it really regreened me into the, about those guys, especially General Zane. Well, you know, I will, what I'll do is I'll put the link of the, I think it's about two and a half hour PME that he did at the basic school that I saw where I affectionately began calling him the burning bush. And, and, and if, for those, you mean when you got out, when you got on the dick, yes, we know. Oh my, no, well, I had never <laughs> you, seen anybody like him that was as smart, right, right. As funny as willing to mix it up. And he takes on John Boyd that night. He takes a, mm-hmm. he makes fun of Van Riper in front of God and everybody. Don't watch your board, <laughs> General. Right. And but you can watch all this and you can see him. And I'd never seen anybody like that. And he made maneuver warfare make sense. And he called bullshit on the stuff he didn't understand. Bill Lynn sitting there. And I was like, who I've n- I never heard of him. Kelly's the one, General Kelly, Major Kelly at the time said, Hey Mac, are you gonna go tonight? And you know, you always have guys going through you know, Camp Barrett and doing a PME. It's like, yeah. well, sir, we're doing long-range patrolling. I'm not going to get back till, you know, early evening. Is it worth my time? He said, don't miss it. I said, I'll be there. <laughs> I had no kidding. That's the story. He saw me walking across uh, out in front of Haywood Hall. And uh, he was going one direction. I was going the other. And he just stopped me real quick. And I was, I'd was, i already been identified as I was going to go to IOC and, and be an instructor. And he just stopped and, and asked me if I was going and told me to be there. And, uh, you know, and again, everything from his, 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 his comedy routine about range five and range 11, 
you know, to, you know, to, to, to weighing a main effort, to initiative, to deception. When he talks about the battle of Austerlitz, you know, if if one of the little Mm -hmm. gomers decides to trick everybody to think he's in the fog when he's really not in the fog, you know, and, and that's, that was my, that was my introduction to him. And then I, you know, I remember Scott Sobka and I called him when he was in Stuttgart and we were asking about the assault fire technique. You were at the basic school. Could you tell us how this gets back in the six fast five? And he said, yeah, I could, I could tell you exactly who got it stuck in there. And he tells the story that they had used this technique and they thought it was great. And that's how it gets back in. And so, but anyway, um, that was my, that was my, and then here's a, Something funny. The next time I saw him speak was at some, an event Major Allen put on, and he was not he was he was not the Ginzo from Philly that he plays that night at the basic school, and that's who I expected. He was just cerebral, very deliberate, and I was like, "What the hell, man? What happened to the other guy?" And then I'm sitting there thinking, he plays the range of characters right every time he shows up. To make his points and and to further the discussion, I was like, "Whoa, that's a dangerous dude." So anyway, um, and he was really and in the podcast with his part of it, his little history lesson there. He's real careful about that and his subsequent comments. He doesn't ever get out of the out of the you know in boxing you're not supposed to throw arm punches. You make sure your punches are within the the plane of your shoulders and your ass so you hit harder and. He never in that in this podcast he never throws his punches wild outside. You know, what I mean, he he's not trying to make anybody. He's not trying to amuse any amuse people. He's trying to to uh, you know to um, you know fascinate you, get you interested. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and in that, I think you can see his experience in this kind of discourse. He does not give you an opportunity to get him right. I mean, he when he talks about history, he footnotes it. He stays inside of it. He does not stretch it to fit him. He stays inside of it on terra firma, and he doesn't give you an angle or an opening to hit him. And that's his experience in these kind of discussions. Will, your thoughts on 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 watching it? What you what you saw? Yeah, item one, the uh, the history lesson. I think we've all talked about it, but it's like the first twenty minutes of that. Uh, you you know you gotta watch it because it's not just. Um, we did this, we did that. What you saw was a very deliberate, strategic, long-term effort by the service chief and his immediate circle to ensure that the nation had the benefit of the best Marine Corps that they could. And when he gets into the componency argument, which I'll be honest, I don't understand all of it. I was never really at that level, but that that doesn't come by just flipping a switch that's a lot of preparation of the battlefield with a lot of smart guys starting with wilson through barrow through kelly uh and 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 then gray and and gray without a doubt but i also think krulak had a big part of that sort of closing it off um a, a couple of things that he said were very uh interesting to me he talked about how the commandant has said how these Marine forces are going to fight. And he said, that's not his job, right? Title 10 is a service chief's organized training. Right. The combatant commanders 
our employment and integration. Mm-hmm. And he said, if any service chief would have told me how I was going to employ their force, we would have had a discussion. Be a- me, him, <laughs> and the secretary of Come defense. Come to Jesus. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's sort of old school of I'm actually in charge of these things here. Then another thing mm-hmm. that he said which, and I didn't listen to the whole podcast, but I don't think it got much play later. Hey, hey Will, let, let me just, just to clarify. So the service chief is a force provider. Force provider. Organizes, yes. trains, equips. Got it. He's a steward. He's a steward. Yes. And so the other thing that he said, he talked about for the first time in a very, very long time, there are no Marines as COCOMs. Yeah, I looked up the joint staff, and currently the J four is a Marine and a J six is a Marine, which means we've got nobody on the bench to be a uh, COCOM either. And so you had these, you know, think Wilson, Barrow, Kelly had been out there. Uh, and at that time, we had uh, General Hoare was at CENTCOM. Yeah, they both were then were one and two at CENTCOM, or what yeah, they call then, the Rapid Deployment Force. And right? just just yeah, for then, clarity, when Will's talking about General Kelly, he's talking about PX Kelly. PX. Right. And then General Gray, you know, giant of a guy. Those were the people that were maneuvering the Marine Corps into this. And they set it up so that in the next 25 years, Zinnia is at CENTCOM, General Pace is a chairman, we have two four stars in charge of an active theater of war, Alan Dunford, Dunford is a chairman, McKenzie is at CENTCOM, and that seed cordon was planted by those guys, it's interesting to me now that we're doing this huge change. Well, how we are, yeah. we are irrelevant in that joint world. No COCOMs, no J3, no J5, no director of the joint staff, no vice chairman. You think we're completely a- shut out. Yeah. of the key billets on how the Marine Corps is going to be employed in the future. Did you think, that's a, did you think it was a function, though, of uh, them just getting sick of us running all this, having guys in all these key billets for so long? I, what do you I, think? I, I don't know what it is, but it yeah, is either, interesting, but... though, that yeah. as we take this major shift, um, we've got nobody up there that is attempting to integrate what we're doing in what the joint force is, the decision makers in the joint force are actually doing. I mean, um, again, if your biggest allies in reorganizing, reorganizing the Marine Corps are the CNO and the chief of staff of the Army, you got a problem. Oh, shit. Because that will allow us to reorganize into obscurity. And, uh, right. and, and I, and I'm not sure if, you know, Zinni was the one point he, you know, he, he hit with a, with a right cross. Um, the service chief doesn't tell me how to employ the force. 
Mm-hmm. But I think he was also making that subtle point that, you know, this is a second set of dangerous ground that we're on, is that we don't have anybody in the arena that's that's actually going to ensure that this force is employed. So, well, um, remember he was, and remember he was talking about the, the how many meths and stuff like that they expected per COCOM area, and uh, this ends up being like five and a half meths, you know, and uh, not simultaneously, of course, but you know, according to the situation. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, how can you, are, are you sure that with this new force design, you can do this, the task that you've signed up that you're able to do? I mean, how can you? you know, yeah, you, and, and that was so, sort of my third point is yeah. that he is, you know, he, I believe he said he, he asked the commandant directly about the war plan, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's where he if, got that. The commandant told him, "This is how many mess for this. This is how you know this is mess for 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 CENTCOM. This is the mess for fucking PACOM." And he, the commandant, flat out admitted it, and then didn't seem to see the fucking uh, obvious contradiction. You know. Yeah, and if if the if the war plan in the Western Pacific requires two mess, right? I don't think that one of those mess. Is going to be composed of stripped down Marine Littoral regiments. Oh, that's out awful. On outlying islands. That doesn't. I just again. So how do they? How do they get there? And there's been no with these uncertain allies that that, that this is going to depend on so much. And, and you know, it's just uh, they really all these things that we kind of suspected ourselves. They brought them out in like as we say in, in Bensaland into bass relief. You know, these two guys, you know. <laughs> Jeffrey, who knew? How, Bass Relief, yeah. who knew? Who are they going to, how are they going to get there, man? Oh, they'll take buses like they did to go to West Virginia. Well, you know, Will, <laughs> Will said something a few weeks ago, and he's, and, and I think it's important, you know, because I think it's, it's very, I don't pretend to I understand. I said something yesterday, no. something that was important, I'm sure. No, but. I don't think you did. It's few and far between, but it's okay. All right. Right. Um, the um, but you said that I don't pretend to understand the nuances of force design. Um, but when these guys say, say they don't understand it, and they've been, I believe, my understanding is they've been afforded the opportunity to to ask questions when they walk away and they said, "Yeah, I, I, we don't get it." That's a problem, and I and right. and, and and what I'm grateful for, um. Uh, to Damian O'Connell and everybody who put that together is, you know, is, is people are getting a chance to see um, what we were talking about, the intellectual, yeah. the intellectual horsepower. And so what needs to happen is there, there needs to be this intellectual rigor applied and this stuff's got to get sorted out and fixed at some I, point. I would say too, that, that if you just, listen to the or watch the uh, Zinni Van Riper part of it. Um, I think it exposes a hubris of a lot of their critics. Yeah. Um, Could you explain the, what hubris means for for those who don't understand? I mean, you're a Naval Academy guy and we're all most of the time we I know, but I was an engineer. Tim, Tim's grew up in you Annapolis. Know, sort of Jeff the, and I are just like 
you know, <laughs> mix from around Jeff, the rest of the Jeff, country. I know you, but people don't know is that Jeff is the most literary person that any of us know. So, but I uh, hide it behind a veneer of obscenities and drunkenness. So, you know, <laughs> but their arrogance, their, uh, yeah, right. Their, their inability to, to see, uh, anyone but themselves being correct or right or honest or whatever. Hubris. Or hubris. Hubris. Right. So, um, if you, if you look at any article, I, the only social media I'm on is LinkedIn and this stuff is leaked into LinkedIn and you go into the comments and it's really something how the, the comments that are in favor of force design and against the criticisms of force design really Personal. get sort of, Personal. oh, these guys are out of touch, the mm -hmm. gray beards, they should go back to sit on their porch uh yada 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 and i i would put um general zinni's discussion up there uh with anyone i ever served with and i you know used to sit in the chairman's office mm -hmm. i used to sit in the commandant's office um i would put him up there with any of those people anytime to talk about this level of thing and so uh, perhaps if this gets wider circulation, um, it can, it can, you know, wouldn't it be a great thing if a bunch of field grade officers in Quantico looked in the mirror and said, Hey, you know what? I may not be the smartest guy in the world. Maybe I should think about this again. You know, hey, I just talked hey, to I a talked famous to man told me once, if you want a dream to come true, first you got to have a dream. So, yeah, you know, I, I talked to a Lieutenant Colonel who was just up there and, he said, and he was involved in the, um, the thing in Afghanistan and uh, H. Kaya. And he said, those fuckers up there, he didn't say fuckers because he's a very appropriate guy. And he goes, those guys don't really understand what life is like anymore on the ground. I mean, they've been up there. The, the, the way it works now is they're up there for a long time. You know, I mean, you can stay up there and people have. And I think that's, I think the insinuation was that's what, there's like a small group, a little cabal, that's uh, advising the uh, commandant, and he has total confidence in these guys. And these guys are, as, as General Zinni pointed out, and backed up by General Van Riper, this wasn't a, a service-wide thing where, let's, hey, I propose this, what do you guys think? Like when General uh, Gray put out the maneuver warfare stuff, right? That did not happen, obviously, with this, you know, by any means. He says, you're going to do this, and you're going to shut up and like it. All right. The um, any other comments? And again, we're gonna we're gonna continue this discussion because other articles are getting written. I I mean, we haven't had a, a chance to talk about John Schmidt, who wrote FMFM one, um, uh, and was you know at the intellectual epicenter of the uh, of the new maneuver warfare discussion. wrote wrote an article a couple weeks ago. We we haven't discussed that. So uh, I, I I wanted to go over that in in a pretty a uh, quick way just gives you general thoughts about it um well you want to you want to tease uh the navy shipbuilding story that we're, we'll take up next week at some point you're on mute sorry this came out uh april 3rd in u.s naval institute news and what basically happened is 
that um, the LPD program got curtailed. The what do they call it? The light amphibious uh, LAW light amphibious warship yes. has been delayed. Uh, and then there were some, I think, uh, upgrades that were supposed to go to uh, LPD seven LPD seventeen flight two was supposed to have thirteen ships. Um, So let me get it straight. Now, we're going to retire some old ones. We're going to bring in some new LPDs to replace them. The replacements got curtailed. The light amphibious ships, I think, did not get funded. And so Terrible. The, the key, a key enabler of the force design is to have an amphibious fleet, not only of big ships, LPD, LSD types, but also these light amphibious warships to be able to get this force to the place that they're going to be employed. And our, you know, the partner, the guy who absolutely believes in Force Design 2030, the chief of naval operations, Renid. Yeah. And, you know, the article is, um, there's a lot of detail in it. Uh, they they quote uh, General Heckel, who's at uh, McSiddick now, CD&I, it, and when, and when we'll, you, we'll explain the significance of his job to everybody, so why his comments. So that's the Combat Development Command of the Marine Corps. So he's he's the one that ensure that the concept is uh, functional, and then uh, at some point in that uh, back room in Quantico, we're figuring out what all the pieces parts accoutrements are going to require some of its hardware thanks ships and right. planes and radar uh to help outline what we need to procure uh so we had at the service level organize train and equip um commandant's obviously the biggest guy the assistant commandant is a very very big guy because in all the budget meetings the final budget meetings, the assistant commandant is sitting in those at the joint level, but also at the service level. The budget guy in the Marine Corps is PR, programs and resources. So they're in the knife fight every day, mostly with the Navy staff, but a little bit with the joint staff about, no, we want 20 more dollars here and $30 less there, et cetera. And then CD and I is the concept guy who's saying, no, we need all these pieces and parts. Well, we failed at all four levels. If we said a key enabler of our complete reorganization of the Marine Corps is ensuring that the amphibious fleet can get us from point A to point B. And the Navy at their first opportunity said, we can't do it. And now, you know, you sit in the, the CNO's chair, submarines, aircraft carriers, airplanes, Ships that defend submarines, aircraft carriers, ships that try and find enemy submarines, because that's how you defend aircraft carriers. That's all his number one priority. All of that is number one. If there's a couple of shekels left over in the end, it ends up in amphibious ships. And that's what I mean when I say that 
if the CNO is the guy that you're relying on as your greatest advocate for force design, then he should, where's, you know, where's the dollars? Um, so really, unfortunately, it's completely predictable. You know, the Marine Corps has seen this movie over and over and over and over. And it's why you never give something up without having something in the budget. Um, because when the commandant and the CNO sit with the Secretary of the Navy and talk about shipbuilding, it's really the Secretary of the Navy and the CNO talking about shipbuilding. And the commandant doesn't get a vote. You know, if there's crumbs left over, you get them. So um, it, it's, it's, it's really bad news if we redesign 3MEF to be these littoral regiments and then they don't have a method to get from where we are in Hawaii or in Guam or in Okinawa into the Straits of Malacca or wherever else they got to go. Um, cause there's no light amphibious warship. And that's, that's not this year. That's what they call the fit up the five year defense plan. There's no money in there. So it's 2022. When are they going to put the money and, in? And will didn't general Zinni or, uh, it was general Van Riper said that this new amphibious ship, it doesn't even go 20 knots. I don't even know. I mean, I you don't know? even know if there's a design or anything like that uh, for it. But there is. Okay. So if they if they put it out now, I don't know how long it takes to build a ship anymore, about three years. And the whole but point of like, yeah. Exactly. There's no money now. So the earliest the money is going to be is like 2028 20, or something. It's uh, so where the abyss that the Marine Corps finds itself in is divested <clears throat> to invest. Uh, the invest is being delayed, and you're going to go through. You're going to be living in this gapped uh, world where you don't have the cap. You don't have the assets to to function across the range of military operation. Yeah, and 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 maybe the divest invest is going to do something inside the house, you know, green gear, marine specific gear. But if you're a key partner for this employment strategy, the Navy is not on board. Um, it, I, I, it, I don't know how the pieces fit together, and. Uh, I, the, the education of the people who made these decisions is just significantly flawed. Okay. So, um, so again, I want to will to tease that and then we'll circulate the article and then we'll beat that up again next week. Cause, cause we, the rest of us are, are generally familiar with, with the argument, but not specifically familiar with what Will's talking about. But, uh, no, and the Navy's, let me tell you, the Navy's struggling. And, and continues to struggle in a big way. You know, they're taking a ton of grief um, about retiring ships that they fought for here in the last few years, fought desperately to, to build, and now they're retiring them, you know. Early. Er, and way early. Not even close. Yeah, to, way early. Not, way early, yeah. not, not even close to their service life. So I, that's worth our, our discussion. The, the, the last thing I want to talk about tonight is uh, just thoughts on uh, – Russia versus Ukraine um, after this pause. So, Timmy, anything that you've seen um, catching your attention as this thing kicks into uh, uh, another gear? I'm not sure which gear it would be, but another gear. 
Yeah, no, not really. I mean, I I, I see in the press reporting in the in the southern part of that eastern uh, part of the country that uh, in that Meleptopol that there's reports that the Russians are disassembling uh, uh, factories and shipping them back to Russia. I, I don't know how the hell they can do that when they can't even get gas to their goddamn tanks. So <laughs> the reporting, the reporting coming out of this out of this conflict still to me is confusing. It appears to me that that you know Putin is going to keep on pushing the levers that aren't working because he's got no options. I don't, I don't see him having any off ramp because he can't concede the fact that he's wrong. I mean he, that that he's a totalitarian government, and and from listening to Grant today too, by the way, China China's in a similar boat in that they've declared they're going to go zero COVID despite everything in the world telling them that they can't do that with this COVID virus. And they've got half their country locked down again and having big problems trying to control their people because they can't admit that they're wrong. If they say they're going to make zero COVID happen, they're going to make zero COVID happen because they cannot be wrong. That's not part of their ideology. So this thing's going to grind on. And I've already seen people in Washington, elected people, talking about we should be doing more of helping the Ukraines to include inserting people that maybe train up front to start getting uh, boots on the ground inside the country. And I'm, I'm, I, I am very leery of this thing expanding beyond the present participants. I, 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 I don't feel a strong, steady hand in control of this thing from Washington, particularly given the president's uh, uh, tendency to go off on uh, calling him a war criminal and talking yeah. about genocide oh. and all this other stuff that Will articulated about weeks ago. He's, the president seems to have been calmed down. I guess they've got a Easter bunny or something that walks around with him and leads him away from the press line. Um, that literally happened yesterday. But uh, but there's no strong. I, I don't see anything in our in our national response that gives me cause for 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 any kind of hope that we will handle this in a mature and adult like fashion. Um, I I think we're going to eventually get dragged into this thing somehow, and I, and and it's no place where we want to be. Okay. But um, all right, got it. Jeff, thoughts on round two uh, of this thing? Is 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 it's seemingly getting going now? Yeah, I think the the big surprise for all the big powers in this thing has been this guy Yelensky. You know, he has galvanized his people, and they're fighting it out tooth and nail. And that's kind of a pain in the ass. My sense is for our government, our United States government, they want this guy to lose, and Russia to get their little piece of what they want, so they can move on. And they'll do all this. They'll say all this heroic stuff. And they wanted to devolve into some kind of negotiation where you, you, you know accepts whatever the Russians want to give him, but he's not cooperating. And uh, I think that, and that's putting a little bit of strain on uh, our our current administration, because I think they're you know they're um, they're they're go, they're basically careening you know from one catastrophe to another. Our southern border. The fucking uh, the uh, you know the inflation stuff, the the, the thing in the in the Ukraine, the the burgeoning problems with China and stuff, and here's the thing, uh, China's watching how the West has responded to this, and uh, you know the, I think I, I don't know how far this guy Putin will go. Right now he's put himself right up there with Joe Stalin. Is he going to cross over into Hitler land? You know he I mean he ha he's been deliberately killing non-combatants. And uh, 
I don't, you know, I don't know how far this is going to go. But right now they're they're in a they're in a they're in a deadly poker game. Or you know, and I can have this wrong. Rick is or you know will be the expert the uh, the expert on this. Like I'll raise you one massacre for you know eighteen destroyed tanks. You know, and uh, the other good thing about this, I mean, it's not really a good thing, but we're watching war in the twenty first century right now. It's not guerrilla war. It's not fucking uh, you know, insurgency. It's not you know car bombs and shit like that. This is two got two forces going at it tooth and nail with tanks and all that other stuff. And like, and our commandant himself said, "Oh, this validates my new force design." And people immediately point out, "Oh no, it doesn't," because the the big thing about force design that you know people can say this does because it shows how vulnerable tanks are to top down anti tank weapons. There's already. There's already uh, mitigators to that. It, it, this thing has been going on with tanks and other weapon systems in general since 1915. You know, you come up with something, we come up with something against it. You come up with something against that, we come up with something against that. And you know, that's where we're at right now. And so the idea that uh, this is some kind of you know validation for getting rid of all your shit. You know, <laughs> I mean, I guess the Navy's strategy for not being vulnerable is to not have any ships. <laughs> they can't get sunk wow, if they're not out there. Right? That's brilliant. <laughs> that's utterly brilliant. If that's your main goal, your main goal though should be to, to you know, establish American dominance. We can sell it. Power. We can sell it under divest to invest. We've divested yes. ourselves of the fleet to invest in our invincibility. Well, I have to tell that's you, brilliant. that's brilliant. It's that's not an unusual thing. Look at in California where we, you and I live. What they do is they legalize stuff. And because this, a crime is no longer illegal, the crime rate goes down. <laughs> and they say, look, the crime rate's going down. But nobody can leave their house. You get raped in the street and shit, you know. But, but because we made certain things legal now, the crime rate technically goes down. Now look at this, extrapolated on a national level. Yeah. Brilliant. So, Utterly yeah. brilliant. Well done, Jeffrey. Well done, Jeffrey. Uh, Will, <laughs> Will, how about, uh, what say ye, um... Uh, yeah, just I, anything break squelch that you see? Well, I was looking at the BBC maps yesterday, and I, I just pulled it up again. So the BBC map describes a 300-mile front between the two forces. And if you look at that area on the map down there in the Donbass and all that, it looks to me there's actually about a 700-mile front. So maybe 300 miles of it is active. Yeah. But a 300-mile front is massive. Right? A division can likely attack on a 10-mile front, a division, and can probably defend on a 40-mile front. And so I don't sense that these are division movements. You know, These are b battalion and brigade uh, localized uh, conflicts from what I can tell. And, uh, you know, I, I would, I would like to see, um, a, a great picture would be a drone shot of Maripol four months ago and a drone shot of Maripol today. Cause I just don't know what to believe. You know, the Ukrainians have claimed that there's 20,000 civilians killed in Maripol. 
And the BBC is talking about there are two very isolated points of resistance uh, in Maripool now. One is like the something ironworks, and there's another thing that looks like it's around a hospital. So they're about two miles by one mile, and the other one's like a mile square resistance. Um, so I, I would like to see just a picture side by side just to see what kind of destruction. There's 20,000 people killed. That's a lot of people uh, there. Yeah. Um, and so what is Putin trying to do? It looks on the BBC maps as if he's got a pretty contiguous area, you know, from the Russian border almost to Odessa. And it appears that the Russians can actually attack from the north to the south to cut off the last sort of area in Donbass. And is that going to be his strategic objective? Mop up Maripool, um, attack from the north to clear the Ukrainians out of Donbass um, so that that nominally Russian-speaking area has been conquered. And, and they claim victory then. Yeah, is that this phase, and then is there another phase to drive towards Odessa to completely cut them off uh, from the coastline? Who knows? But at some point, um, this thing started, what, February 24th. We're 60 days of seemingly heavy engagement, and I don't like adjectives. I'm not quite sure what heavy is, but at some point, your, your munitions pool you know, yeah. it isn't there. And while I was skeptical of the early casualty reports, if it's been grinding at two months, yeah. um, it's not unlikely that, I mean, if I saw a report now of, of I don't know, eight or 10,000 Russians killed in action and maybe 30,000 Wounded. I said, if I would see a report like that, I would give it a lot more credibility than I would have a month ago. And right. that's, um, you know, you're verging on a quarter of the force that was initially lined up to go in there. And don't forget, the Russian army, Russian military is smaller than the U.S. military. Yeah, it's 200,000. Yeah, I, I mean, imagine if we took... 40,000 casualties. Don't even talk about public opinion. Just talk about 40,000 casualties in trying to reorganize, replace. Think right. of what the Russian medical system. It must be well, they completely just, just hammered. So I don't know how much more juice they're going to be able to pour into this thing. So, and that's um, why the it's the heightened risk of chemical weapons and maybe even nukes. Yeah, it, it uh, as as what the the level of desperation increases. Yes, yes, right. yeah. yeah. So is he is he going to try and again pop up where they're at, finish off this Donbass, which I think the Ukrainian government, if they can find an artful way to sort of withdraw and get out of there. They can't now because they said, we're fighting for every inch of Ukraine. But just to, to 
and again, put the Ukrainians. They're a country of, they were a country of, uh, I think, 40 million. Yeah. So they are, um, they are about 12 or 13 percent the size of the United States. If they took 20,000 killed in one city, you know, that would be like the U.S. taking, what, 160,000 civilians yeah. killed? Yeah, it's awful. I mean, it's it's massive. Right. At some point, um, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't really want to fight the war to the last dead Ukrainian civilian or anything. No shit, yeah. But at some point, as a government, you gotta try and. You know, what are we here for? And, then and don't if, you don't you guys think it's interesting? You, you watch the news. You hear these military. You don't watch the news. The, the, the military experts, like on Fox News, like this one guy, Danny Davis, retired lieutenant colonel, who uh, he 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 was one of these guys in the beginning saying it'll be about like three days and they'll be rolled over. They should probably make over. And then week after week, they keep putting this motherfucker on. I'm like, isn't this guy been discredited enough? You know, and, uh, you know, and uh, but they keep putting him on. He keeps and he's always predicting gloom and doom for the Ukrainians. But they're hanging in there, you know, and um, it, what it really does, too, is shows, uh, you know, the Russians have always been a big facade country. Even before that was the Soviet Union, the, you know, the, uh, the their army was big, but pretty bad, usually, you know, and only in the most desperate circumstances they ever turned good. And usually it's because the, the, their method of leadership was either you attack them or we'll kill your family. Right. And that's how they won the Second World War. You know, and I mean, because Stalin was as bad as Hitler in his own way, you know, and and uh, and I think Putin, he's trying for the, uh, you know, for the uh, the Stalin Academy Award of uh, you know, 2023, you know, because uh, I never thought that he, that he would be this baldly fucking brutal as they have been as they have been done. And like Will, I'm skeptical of reports you get. Right. They got pictures. And and there's people there, enough people there saying, yeah, these are fucking, they're whacking people, innocent people, you know. And uh, so it's like they're just trying to terrorize the Ukrainians and they're going away. The more they do it, and because there is such a big camera on it, the less it works. Well, how, how about the video that we've all seen in the last 24 hours, which is the commander of the of the Ukrainian forces in, in Maripol saying this is probably... Um, yeah. our last the day Marine. or our last hours. We, de you know, I mean, you're watching that, that guy. Yeah, he's a, and he's we're a not... Lieutenant, he's Lieutenant Colonel Devereux of the, the Marines in Wake Island, Devereux. Right. That's like their Wake Island, only thing well, worse. And you're, wa you're, yeah. wa you're watching it, you know, maybe the last hours of the guy's life. And right. the Ukrainians said, we will not surrender. You know, you, you know, your ultimatum, go fuck, go fuck yourself. And it's just, uh, I mean, it's incredible to watch, and uh, and and I you've seen, you know, foreign service people say, look, the, the Russians need something that Putin can call a victory, you know, kind of like uh, Lincoln trying to issue the Emancipation Proclamation, and he's booting, right. right? He's booting me, meat in the ass. Get me something, and and essentially a draw at Antietam, they declare a victory, and he issues the Emancipation Proclamation, largely right. to keep England and France uh, out of the war. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so, but it was this, this, this shred 
of uh, fighting to a draw that, that is the terra firma, not so much, that Lincoln needed and used to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. And, you know, you've seen diplomatic people, you know, doing their analysis saying Putin needs something, right? That he Let me can't... ask you guys this. I was, I was, when we, I knew we were, this would come up, so I was thinking about what do you guys think about. Do you think that Putin thinks if he doesn't win this thing, his days are numbered, like his, his life days are numbered? In other words, he's either got to win or he's going to be dead. Or do you think he's, you know, because maybe it didn't start out that way. We're at the point now where um, he can't lose after he's invested this much. He can't lose unless he runs away to fucking, you know, uh, to China or something like that. You know, to live like Idi Amin in Saudi Arabia. Are you, do you think that he, he's thinking that way or what? My understanding is he's got a protection detail that num- like, like it's numbers in thousands and that he would. It would not be easy to force him to do anything or to get at him. My understanding. To me, to me those are the guys who will kill him. That's how possibly, that works. Poss- no. Possibly, but I, I don't, I, I don't sense that. I don't sense that myself. Okay, all right. Well, I was wondering. Yeah, here's here's an interesting thing. I just went on uh, and did a search on Russian casualties in Ukraine. The last thing I found was dated March thirty first. Hmm. Three weeks ago, NATO put something out like a month ago and hasn't put any estimate out since then. That's, I mean, it's. Yeah, why not? I don't know. It's weird. I think. I don't know. Yeah. Got it. What do you think, Max? What do you think? You know what? I mean, I would would think that um, the economic impact, and again, the further this goes, the more. Russia gets isolated, you know, the economic impact ultimately will mean that he needs to go away. If he can, if he mm. can, I mean, otherwise they become North Korea, you know, and him leaving. Well, we'll it, see though. Right. They're still buying gas. Right. Yeah, right. that's right. exactly the right. point. They're right. still, still buying his gas. So, um, so I, mean, the, I, the, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. To fuck, me, that's, that's great. Right. Wild card I'm just saying. Speculation stuff. So. The fucked up war is what got rid of the Tsar Nicholas. And then fucked up war in Afghanistan is pretty much what got rid of the Soviet Union under Gorbachev. Only because Gorbachev, was, I think, saw what was coming. You know, So that's why I wonder about this. Now, this is a, a war they thought they are going to walk right over, just like they thought they are going to walk right over Afghanistan. And it ended up destroying the Soviet Union. So I'm just, you know, one of the things that destroyed the Soviet Union. So it's just, I just wonder about it. And But I'm not smart enough to make my own opinion so i'm throwing that you guys i find out neither are you well played so. well well played i don't want to look stupid let me let me let my friends do that um all right real quick what is everybody reading tell me what are you reading oh i i was i've, I've been reading the drums along the mohawk i just wow i, just, I picked that up it's a great old book i haven't read it since i was a kid enjoying it very much and i want to be the first to alert everybody the capital is safe because the D.C. police evacu- issued an evacuation order when they detected the U.S. Army parachute team coming to jump into the Nat Stadium for the uh, for the baseball game this evening. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a so master, the, well-coordinated event, I can see. Yeah, so apparently I don't I don't think they actually physically evacuated the Kappa, but they, they, uh, they issued the alert and told everybody to start heading out, unidentified planes heading their way. <laughs> nice. 
Nice. Yeah. Well, hey, well done, Have boys and girls. Well done, boys and girls. All right. Uh, Will, what are you reading? I am uh, reading the book that Tim recommended a couple of months ago, Comanche Empire. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And the guy writes it from a very good perspective, from the perspective of the Comanches and everything. But he's working, and it's revisionist history. There's nothing wrong with revisionist history. It means we're looking at it from a different view. But he's working too hard to be revisionist, I think, <laughs> in parts of it. I'm learning a lot, but he, uh, I don't know. Some of it is just odd. Um, hmm. It's hardly. Oh, it's hard to know where he got the information of some of these gigantic battles that happened between tribes when there was no Europeans or or Spanish yeah. around. What's the references? Yeah. 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 So anyway, no, it's uh, it's an, it's a very, um, you know, it's key to uh, American history, particularly with with uh, annexation of Texas and then the Mexican American War. Um, the Comanches had something to do with it somewhere in there. Uh, I'm only about halfway through it. So I, I, I think it's worthwhile because it's different than your normal American history that you're going to get. And so, yeah, I like the book, Comanche Empire. Tim's already talked about it enough. Got it. Um, Jeffrey, what are you reading? So I'm reading this book still by, uh, um, um, what the fuck's his name? It's a, it's a, he used to be a commentator. It's called The Great Reset. And it's a pretty good book, but it's a, you know, it's about the, you know, the guys like Soros and people like that who are trying to take over our destroyed democracy and so forth. But that's not what I want to talk about now. My son was in 1 6, said, Hey, dad, he's on this, uh, he's got the Kindle, and they, and they offered him a bunch of free books. And uh, one of them was a series of, uh, Books by Rick Atkinson about World War II in Europe, and you know we've talked about them. The, uh, you know the uh, um, the Army at Dawn, the the Day of Battle, and then the, at Dawn's last. You know that. So I said yes. Get me. He goes. I got another one. It's a small book. It's called The Last Stand uh, of uh, of Fox Two Seven. I go read that first, and so he did, and he's been talking to me about it as he's reading it. He's all excited. You know, he's a kid who was in the Marine Corps. He did it. He did a tour in Afghanistan, two in Iraq with one six, and he's like, uh, he's reading about like people like uh, Hector Caffaretta, right. of course, you know Captain Barber, and uh, Sergeant Major Henry's in the book. You know, <laughs> he's a machine gun platoon sergeant, and uh, so he's going back. It's just, it's a rewarding to see through his eyes because he never read it before. He never read anything about. it. He goes, I got to get into this Korea thing. So I gave him, you know, the book uh, you know, by Hamilton Sides. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, oh, I'm desperate ground and shit yeah. like that. Right. Yeah. And he's like into it now. And so it's fun seeing that, you know, uh, you know, him really get into it. And he's like, you know, it's just, Make I'm, I'm read Fahrenbach. yeah, well, that, yeah. Fahrenbach's the precursor to that, you know, but I would say that, uh, this Fahrenbach is a, he, he's a, his book basically sells the Marine Corps, you know, as, as if, if you read Fahrenbach's book, especially some selected passages, and then you looked at force design, you'd be like, let's get rid of this guy, General Berger. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, you know, but because, uh, yeah, Fahrenbach for, for sure. But, uh, yeah, so my, yeah, my, it's a rewarding thing, you know, see your kids do that. I've been nose deep in these things since I was a kid. 
and then to see him doing it, you know, it's rewarding. Yeah. The, um, I have to say that, uh, you know, my last, I spent last week at Marine Barracks, Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just a, a great experience. You know, the Marines and sailors, the, the, the fishbowl they live in doing what they do. Um, nobody signs up to go there unless you're more senior. Uh, but young Marines go there and, and they become, you know, posters for the Marine Corps, but they want to be in the uh, fleet and all that. And, and sure. just meeting them and, and seeing, you know, uh, let me just tell everybody, if you've seen the evening parade, you've seen what that is. Mm-hmm. There is no magic in that thing. You know how they do that? They drill Practice. the living shit yeah. out of those. Yeah. Out of those. Very muscle memory. Oh, my God. And, and I'll tell you what. I mean, um, to me, the great education that you can get there if you're open to it is what it. What does it take in life to be elite at something? Yeah. How much work do you got to do? And you can go to college for 15 years and never learn that shit. But if you want to understand what it is to be elite at something, um, pretty good pretty good education they get there but it's just yeah. a great, great experience um i got to stay at center house for a week um in the hey dog man in the in the borough suite Ooh. hey what's <laughs> up what's up bitches borough, um, yeah. yeah no it's uh no and, and again but just the conversations and in my experience there and is is very cool and uh and and i have a similar experience you know, actually, is it, you know, got a chance to see both my sons are back there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Patrick, I go to dinner at his house, and all of a sudden he hands me a picture of a ultrasound. I'm like, whoa! So they're uh, gonna have their first kid. So that's very cool. And uh, and I, 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 I'm standing Great. at uh, Major General Rollins's funeral. Captain's standing next to me, and uh, he says to me, he goes, is is Major McNamara, my monitor, is he your son? I said, yeah, is he a dick? And he says, (laughs) (laughs) and he starts laughing. And he says, he says, no, I'm not going to tell you this because you're a dad, but you know what? He was really nice to me when I called, you know? And uh, I said, yeah, his mother's, his mother's thinks that that kind of shit's important. Um, But he said, no, he said, uh, he said, you know, I, I really haven't had too much positive impact or m- many positive discussions with monitors. He said, but, uh, yeah, your son, he's a good dude. So, yeah, you see, you know, you, so last week yeah. was cool getting to see both my sons and then uh, both yeah. my both my grandsons, uh, to, to include the newest one. And, uh, you know, driving around uh, down in Quantico again, our old stomping ground. So it was a, it was a, it was a, it was, it, it was an awesome, awesome week. And, and I will tell you that I had staff discussions with officers and staff NCOs and, and then an NCO, staff NCO discussion that were absolutely fucking awesome. And, and, you know, the bottom line is this. If, if you want to be a good leader, you know, you, you got to be a good human being and you've got to help them become better people. And if you'll do that, they will fight anybody. They will do anything that you ask them to, they will crawl to, they will crawl through hell, right, with a bayonet in their teeth to stab somebody in the eyeball, for you because you give a shit about them. And it's, it's really, it's, it's really interesting discussions about, 
you know, about trying to get left to boom uh, and all this destructive behavior that we live with to include suicide, but that's not all there is. There's a lot more than that. But you know what it boils down to? Got to be a good dude got to or, or girl. And then you got to help other people. And if you'll do that, you, they'll, they'll, they'll go through the hardest training you can think up, right? They'll take whatever you dish out because they believe in you. And so it was just, it's just a, uh, an absolutely phenomenal uh, experience for me. So I just, uh, but yeah, center house. So you're, so you're not reading anything either. <laughs> no. So you're not reading. Anything. No, I'm, I'm okay. doing things. So I know you're I'm doing things with my life. So I don't, I don't have time to read Mark and Tom. Uh, we're just, I don't, I'm we're not three, part of the Mark, Mark, Mark time trio. We're three sedentary fucks just sitting here reading books and you're out there a man of action. So congratulations, yeah, I mean, come buddy. on, fuck. Camp, <laughs> Camp David, Eighth and I, The Annex, I know Sousa Hall, right? You'll be, you, you'll His be last book was now. Man's Search and Meaning. I think that was like three years ago he had a book he was reading. <laughs> I didn't. No. Mac, I did all that stuff on active duty. I find it boring now. So. <laughs> well, I'm still aspiring in my retirement to create the career that you lived. Yeah. And, Mac, uh, you'll be at a, you should go to Ukraine and interview those moments. You'd be good. I, I, I have no desire to do that. Um I um and I even went to the uh Marine Memorial. No. I went to Why not? <laughs> I went to um the National Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception at American at Catholic University for Easter. Good for you, man. For Easter, oh. Jeffrey. Holy shit! So how long was that mass? Yeah. An hour and a half. No, no. Two hours. No, because the parking lot's got to get used, so there's like boom, boom, boom. So <laughs> yeah, so it was right at an hour. But I, I will tell you this: I don't know who does audio at that place, but uh, their audio sucks. It was not very good. But, but I will Uh-oh. tell you this absolutely un it's one of the one of the 10 largest churches in the world and it is the architecture is spectacular if you yeah. if you at all understand what a basilica is and most of I you do. most of you rubes won't jeffrey jeffrey <laughs> certainly will um, only because i'm a catholic and thank you very much um yeah. and so it's yeah beautiful nominal beautiful. nominal yeah i put my 20 in retirement <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <But> when... <laughs> All right. All right. We're done. Uh, say good night. Tim officially says good night every time. Timothy? Say good night, Gracie. Good night, guys. Gracie. No, you have it. Right. Once night, Tim boys. Lynch says good night, guys, this is over. It's, it's <laughs> fucking done. <laughs>